Are you ready to, to come around the Word of God right now? Fantastic. I am ready to preach. Today is a, a different day, but we still preach the Word of God. Occasionally there are times when we, we may shorten it or change it, but I really believe that the Word of God should prepare our hearts for other things that happen during the service. Amen. So let me say, as I say, tend to say in nearly every single service, welcome home. Welcome home to those of you that are in the room and those of you that are online as well. My name is John Cook. And I am one of the pastors here at Circle. As I said, we moved into our new house on Friday and we'll probably spend the next 20 years unpacking all the boxes that we have. Have no idea. We moved from the UK in June and August for Dee and Judah. Where all our stuff has come from, we stripped everything bare. We thought we brought the bare minimum, but how do we now have a box full a house full of boxes, not a box full of houses. And I just want to say thank you to everyone that helped lift, clean, drive, and especially those that cooked for us. You are very much appreciated. So what do you know about me? For those of you that are maybe newer here, what do you know about me? You know my name. You know my job. You know that we've moved house. How do you know that? Because... You've just seen and heard what I've said. But even the ones that have been around a while will only know what I have revealed about myself to you. You know what you have seen and heard from the platform, on the videos over the, the last 18 months or so, even gossip. You'll have heard that as well. Some of you even know that I very much dislike mushrooms and fish. Mushrooms particularly are the spawn of the devil, I believe. Anything that grows in the dark, the Bible is very clear that sin grows in the dark. Mushrooms grow in the dark and we know what they also grow in. I'll just leave it at that. Many of you will know that I love sport. If you have a conversation with me for any five minutes or so, you'll find out that I love sport. Most sports I am into. Some of you will also know I used to be a child protection social worker. But all of that, when you think about it, is just information about me. You haven't really got to know who I am, my nature, my character. Let me give you something here. Like many preachers, Sunday can be a stressful day, especially if we're preaching. And I, particularly after the service, feel at my most vulnerable, just after I've preached. So if you decide to complain about my preaching or about some aspect of your preferences on how church should be done, that could crush me. You see, that's not just information. That's getting to know who I am. That's, that's giving you a glimpse inside of my nature and character. You get to know me. And today, just to change tack slightly, we've termed our healing service. Later on, we're actually just going to obey the Bible and pray for the sick. This is what we're believing for here today. There are no, no magic hands, 
No special prayers from special people. We're just believing that God is going to do something significant through the people that are praying for. Maybe even you might be in this congregation and stay in your seat and know that God has healed you right where you are. Online, we're going to be praying for you guys as well. I think we all, if we're honest, have questions about healing. Do I doubt, personally me, doubt that God can heal? No, I don't. Do I doubt that he will heal? Yes. I know you probably should rush the platform now and and take me off, but I think if we're honest, we all have those doubts. Why, Why doesn't God heal everyone? I don't know. I really wish I did. We believe that God heals. Why? Because his word says so. The Bible reveals him as the God who heals. There are many characteristics that are revealed throughout the Bible. Many of his names show what his character is and what his nature is. I want to talk about that in a moment. But both in the Old Testament, where he was actually seen and perceived as a more distant God, and in the New Testament, where God revealed himself through his son, Jesus, incarnate, up close and personal. I don't know if you ever used the phrase or saying generally in a negative way, he's just like his dad, with a shake of the head, generally. See, that's God and that's Jesus. Brian Zand, who is a, a pastor and an author, said this, and I love this quote, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We've not always known what God is like, but now we do. God is perfectly revealed in Jesus. And today, just very briefly, I want to set the scene from the Old Testament, and then I'm going to hand over to Pastor Paul, and he is going to show us the same God who heals in the New Testament. You see, sickness was a result of sin, and Maybe Paul might tell you something different that might seem opposite, but it's not. I don't mean my sickness is a result of my sin. What I mean is is that sickness is the result of sin coming into the world and our bodies begin to degenerate. Not personal sin, but corporate sin, the sin of humanity, the fallenness of humankind. The curse of sin. One of the curses of sin is that our body degenerates and dies. But when God created us, he created us to be in harmony and community with him, to be the recipients of his love. That's the God of the Old Testament. Same God, no different, just revealed in a different way. Hebrews in the New Testament says this. Jesus Christ, that's God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Psalm 103, the same God. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Isaiah 53. I know I'm throwing scripture at you, but I want you to get to know this God who we're going to be praying to. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. See, both the Psalms 
and Isaiah point forward to Jesus. God reveals himself in those, but he also points to Jesus, the coming king. Most of the healing we see in the Old Testament was done through the time of Moses, which was tended to be a community or corporate healing. But then we get to Elisha and Elijah, and it becomes much more individual. What I want to reiterate with that is God chose them to heal people. Actually, no, he didn't. He chose to heal people through them. A bit like a water turbine. There's a pipe that shoots water at a water turbine. It's not the pipe that actually turns the turbine. It's the water, but the pipe just directs the water. That's like the people praying. There's nothing special about the pipe. It's the water. It's God who brings the healing. Exodus 15, verse 26, is first where we see this character or the characteristic of God. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Yahweh Rapha is the phrase that's used there. The God who heals. The God who repairs that which is broken. Children of Israel had had 400 years of slavery. They were broken. They felt abandoned, dismissed, betrayed by God. But God brings them out of slavery. And they praise him. But the problem is, as soon as trouble hits, they begin to complain about him and about Moses. They're at this pool. And they're dehydrated and they taste the water. It's like, yes, it was disgusting. And that's when God begins to reveal one of his characteristics. He, He changes the pool from bitter to sweet. And God says, I am the God who heals you. You need to know who I am and and my intention towards you. They didn't have Psalm 119 verse 68 to read where it says this. You are good. This is talking about God. And what you do is God. Good. Teach me your decrees. I am the God who heals you. I am good. And my intentions towards you are good. He's the same yesterday today and forever. So if God healed in the past, he will heal in the present. Isaiah 53, that verse that I've just read earlier, states that he heals our pain and suffering. The words that are used there actually mean different things. Pain is what afflicts what goes wrong in our body, but suffering is what goes wrong in our mind. So it's saying, I can heal your body and I can heal your mind, both. Physical health and mental health. So what do you believe about God? Maybe, maybe that's not something that you've ever really considered. What do you believe about God? Have you asked the question, can he heal me? Can, can God really heal my cancer, my back problems, my arthritis, my diabetes, my bad knees, my anxiety, my depression, my intrusive and self-destructive thoughts? Can God really do that? And if he can, why would he? And that's the question I want us to think about just as I read some scriptures to you. God would and will because he is good. He loves you. His intentions towards us are good and he can heal you. Let me read some scripture to build faith. Exodus 34 verse 6. 
And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 145, verse 9, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Psalm 25, verses 8 to 10, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. Psalm 27, verse 3, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 34, are you getting this? God is good. His intentions are good. He's compassionate, loving, faithful. Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And Nahum 1, verse 7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. God healed in the past, continues to heal in the present, and will heal in the future. Paul, if you could just come up as I finish. As we come to know people, we get to trust them more. As we read the Bible, God progressively reveals his character and nature through the pages. We see that he is good. We see that he is the God who heals. And we see that his intentions towards us are good. Good being the highest standard, not the one just above mediocre. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We've not always known what God is like, but now we do. So that's the God of the Old Testament. Let's see how he's revealed in the New Testament through Jesus. Thanks, John. Let me just start with that same quote again from Brian Zahn, because I think it's an important part for us to grasp as we transition from the Old Testament, God who heals, who has a plan to reconcile, who has a plan to restore and bring things back to him into a right relationship. Brian says in his book, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now we do. If you were to continue to read Brian's book, he will say the reason we know who God is is because Jesus is God. The scriptures are one unified story pointing and leading to Jesus himself. He is the fullest representation of God that we can possibly know. In the New Testament, in the arrival of Jesus, we receive not a new, not a different God, but the same fully revealed God, the full same revealed Yahweh in Jesus in the flesh. From the moment of the sin, the sin that is the curse, the fall, the brokenness that happened, as Pastor John talked about, from that moment that the curse occurred, God began a plan to heal and reconcile all creation to him. You see, Jesus arrives as the solution, as the answer to the problem. He is the cure to the curse. We must know that Jesus himself continued God's healing and redemptive work that Yahweh began. He did this because he is the solution. He's always been God's plan from day one. When humanity stepped out of the relationship with God, God began a plan, and the arc of the narrative was always pointing to Christ. That is why the Old Testament, or the First Testament, the First Promise, the First Covenant, is just as important as the Second, the New Testament. You can't have one without the other. The story always points to Christ, and Jesus is Yahweh. 
specifically in the gospel of John, that is the good news about Jesus and his life according to John, we see that Jesus reveals about himself seven I am statements. He says things like, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the vine. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrected life. I am the truth and the life. Now, when we hear these statements, we, they, they sound like really nice metaphors and things that make kind of sense. So, yeah, God is good. He's the bread of life. He makes us live. But what we miss sometimes is that for the original hearers, when they heard, I am, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. You see, I am is the name of God that he reveals to Moses in the burning bush. When Moses says, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am that I am. God's name is I am. So when Jesus proclaims that he is the I am in the Gospels, he's actually telling people that he is Yahweh in the flesh. He is the answer to humanity's curse. This curse created a barrier between us, between us and God. And Jesus, Yahweh, steps into that to destroy the barrier as the final act of reconciling and healing all things to him. So what about this healing? What is and how does Jesus heal? Well, first we need to notice that Jesus did heal in the New Testament, in his narrative, in the story as he lived here on earth. He actually healed specific people. But it's important to know that Jesus didn't heal, at least didn't heal physically every person he encountered. He didn't heal every person physically that he encountered. But... Jesus always focused on the barrier every person he encountered had between him and God. He was attuned specifically to the effects of the curse in the person's life. In fact, after forgiving one man of his sins, we read in Matthew that Jesus, seeing the reaction of people who saw tell a man, your sins are forgiven, he says this in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 4. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? What is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. The position of this particular miracle indicates Jesus' posture towards miracles. That is, he was first concerned about the barrier or the gap, whichever metaphor you want to use, the barrier or the gap between the man and God. The man's sins was the barrier that Jesus wanted to heal first and foremost. He poses a difficult question. What's easier to to heal, sins or physical health? Which is it? Which is easier? Have you ever thought about that? We live in a reality where it is the nature of the human body to grow old, to deteriorate, and eventually die. That's kind of depressing, I know. But that's kind of the life we live in. Until, until that is, creation is finally restored through Jesus. This is our reality. The tension of the now and not yet. That Jesus says, I have come so you could have life. And life to the fullest. In that posture, his first concern is for our relationship with God. To break down any barrier or to bridge any gap we have between him and Yahweh. 
Jesus came to save and to heal from the real problem and then restore the world in his perfect timing, the now and the not yet. And I want to stress this here. It is a symptom of the broken world, chaos, death, wars, evil. All these things we encounter are the symptoms of the curse of the broken world that we find ourselves under. The symptom of the sin, a curse that is a life in a broken world full of death with a broken relationship. Jesus arrives to restore that relationship first and foremost, to bridge that relationship. Jesus loves the world and has come to restore it materially one day, that is physically, the new heavens and new earth, but spiritually now with our relationship with God. He accomplished this through the cross, death, and resurrection, defeating death once and for all. Again, the paradox of the tension of the now and not yet for us. His miracles and work in, invite us into a redemptive and reconciling story to rescue the world from the curse. So we actually play a part in his invitation. Thus, the emphasis in the scripture is on forgiveness of sin and the paradox of coming reality of healing of our material bodies in the world through Jesus. So here's the thing that I want us to really catch here. What we know is this. Wherever Jesus went, the curse was confronted I want to repeat that. Wherever Jesus went, the curse was confronted. So it should be with us, empowered by his spirit, which he promises when he leaves that his spirit would arrive. Where we are, the curse is thwarted, confronted, and a new creation is proclaimed. Jesus commissions the church to confront the curse, to confront the broken relationships. We know this is true, and we know it's the now, not yet tension, which is kind of a funny tension to talk about. But we know this because even Lazarus, and those of you that are familiar with that story in the scriptures, Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from death, right? Brings him back to life. There are witnesses to this. It's amazing. What an amazing thing that has just happened. But what we also know is that Lazarus actually still eventually died. Our healing is not complete yet. We see in the New Testament, in the life and work of Jesus and the birth of the church thereafter, that Jesus' main priority is addressing that spiritual sickness, that barrier between us and God, our alienation from God, our living for ourselves and wondering why we spin our tires in our life. No healing can happen apart from this restoration first. So what does this actually mean for us? What is the practical part here? What do we do with Yahweh, the healer, as Pastor John has introduced to us in the first part of the Bible? We as a church, in the teaching and by the teaching of Jesus and by his actions, and then by the teaching of his own brother, James, are encouraged. And if you follow with me in James 5, we are encouraged to do this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him or her, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. What James, the brother of Jesus, teaches us is the church was called and invited and was always invited to be a healing church. The early church was marked by being a church focused on healing, healing the broken relationships with God and of people's physical needs and providing for people's physical needs. We see James reminding the early church and us today that if you are suffering, you are to pray. And if you are sick, you are to call elders. Now, the Greek word for elders here is, 
is presbyteros, where we get the word Presbyterian, which simply means older or senior member in the church. And by that, they don't mean just like by age older necessarily, by, but mature in Christ, somebody who is mature in their faith. Meaning if you are sick, you are to call someone who has mature faith to come and pray for you so that, as we learned, we can help first address the spiritual sickness our alienation from God, our separation from Yahweh, our creator and the source of life. Then, anointing them with oil, we seek for God's grace to heal. For many centuries, the church consistently used anointing oil as a means of healing the sick. Now, it's not a magic potion, first and foremost. That's not how the church used it. It's cleansing, it's setting apart. The priests did it as as members of medicine in that community. So it's important to know that for the early church, oil was also used as a medicine. Think about that. God invites us to be part of the healing process through his spirit, but to also use all available medicine to us. He has given us the mind to understand things that will help us. In obedience, we pray. To this day, we anoint with oil and we encourage medical intervention that God so graciously has given us wisdom to understand. You see, from the moment of its commission, the church's commissioning, we were instructed to always care for the sick. The gift of healing has always resided in the church because Christ is at the center of the church, and Christ's goal is to reconcile us to him first and foremost. And then we take care of the needs of one another. This is why when we say things like the social gospel— we need to understand that it's actually deeply embedded in Christianity. It is the very essence of Christian faith and life alongside the work of the Spirit of God. So we are to be the healing church. James continues from there and says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Notice the word here, save, heal, the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he, and if he or she has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The second thing I just want us to catch is not only the church was always, from the beginning of its commission, meant to be a healing church, the church has always meant to be a praying church. James invites us to be a praying church. After all, this is all deep-rooted connection to God who is presented and who deeply cares for our world. And in James and in the rest of the scriptures, we see a deep connection between prayer and healing, of course. As a praying church, there's an idea that to be effective, confession of sin has to be made to God and to the person we wronged. Now, of course, it's easier to confess to God, right? Because nobody else knows that. That's between you and God. But we also learn from James that we must make a confession to the one we have wronged. We must break two barriers, a barrier between us and God and a barrier between one another. That is the route of healing. If both of these barriers are removed, both kinds of confession must be made. And wherever wherever we go, Jesus is now commissioning us, and James is extorting us to confront the curse by breaking barriers between one another and between us and God. We do this through confession to one another. Now, to the Jewish people, they even had this great saying. I loved it. I, I wanted to include it here. Repentance can do something, but prayer can do everything. How much more must this be so for us 
in and through Christ, God made flesh amongst us who lived here two, some 2,000 years ago. The prayer needs to anchor us in who we are. The entire history has always been pointed to Jesus, Yahweh made in flesh amongst us. And his commission for us is to be a healing and a praying church that gathers to make and break any barrier and make any bridge possible between us and God. We heal by bridging the gap or tearing down the barriers of the curse between us and Yahweh. Jesus has accomplished all of this, and he has set the right relationship for us through God, and now invites us to receive that gift, invites us to come into the space of healing and prayer so that our relationships could be made right, so that the now and not yet could become a reality in our life that we could come before Christ one day, fully healed, fully restored in the new bodies, in the new heaven, and a new earth. I just want to give you guys one moment here and one opportunity as well. Now, some of you have invited Jesus. You have been breaking barriers your whole life. You have been building bridges in, your, in the gap. But for some of you, maybe you're here for the first time and you're talking about healing service. What does this all mean? I want to give you an opportunity today that if you feel there's a barrier between you and God, if there's been a gap between you and God in your relationship, if there's a barrier between you and a brother or sister, I want to give you an opportunity to first today to break that barrier between you and God, to bridge that gap, to invite God to, into a full relationship that he had meant for you from the beginning of day, to invite him into your life, to be the king and Lord of your life, to take off that crown of ruling everything on your own and creating a mess all the time, but to invite Jesus to be the king of your life in a relationship that he's been wanting from the day before you were even born. So if you bow your heads, let's all bow our heads. But if that's you today, and you want to bridge that gap or tear down that barrier, would you raise your hand? Yeah, I see that hand. Yes, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you. Respond to God. Tear down that barrier. Raise your hand if that's you. Thank you for all those hands. Would you pray this prayer with me, those of you that raised your hand? Father God, I'm tired of ruling my life. God, I know there's been a barrier between us. I need your help to tear it down. Would you be the Lord of my life? Would you restore me, forgive me, and heal me from inside out? God, I thank you for this free gift that you offer. And I thank you for this opportunity I have to step into this right, healed relationship with you. Thank you for seeing the wounds that I have and healing them. Thank you, Jesus. I praise in your name. Amen.